We, we drove by a church this morning, and I'm telling you, they were packed out. Some of them had their golf cart behind them. Some of them had a lawnmower behind their truck. They, they were ready to go to, the, to, to whatever, but they were in church this morning. It's something about Resurrection Day that people want to be in church. I, I asked uh, my mother the other day, I said, what is it that makes... Uh, uh, she was telling me that somebody that she watches in Lubbock they were going to throw on another service for Saturday night because they couldn't hold them all on Sunday morning. And I said, well, why is that? And she said, I don't know. But I did figure out people always want, no matter where they are in their life, they want to hear that their sins are forgiven and that there's hope and that Jesus is still thinking about them. And so they may not pay much attention to him in October or February, but come Resurrection Day, they, they want to show up and hear the good news. We're all hungry for the good news. We all need the good news. And uh, just like Barry this morning could recount things that have been said before. We all have that things. Lynn said he listened to 13, 13 hours of Lester Summerall yesterday. I mean, that's like almost all day. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, so we're tapping in. We're learning. We're. We're not just learning. It's not intellectual. It's not even information. It's revelation. When it come, the word comes in, it turns into revelation. And then we see and we know. We see things we've never seen to know things we've ever known so we can do what we've never done. And that resurrection power is from the word of God. So it's so wonderful to be part of a body, a family, a church that respects the word of God that you have your Bible with you, you know, that's, that's just not common anymore. Nobody brings their Bible to church or has it on a phone or anything. They're just sitting there. And those songs this morning, those hymns, they're so powerful. I just want to throw away some of the contemporary stuff and go back to how great thou art. Hallelujah. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee, how great thou art. I I love that. I just, it's so powerful. And every song that has the name of Jesus in it, I'm attracted to that. I, I, I don't like them when they just say you and the Lord. And I like it when it's got the name of Jesus in it. How about you? Because that's the name that's above every name and the name that'll never fail. But people have been asking me this week, because, you know, the pastor and everything, are you ready? Are you getting ready? Are you ready for Resurrection Day? And, uh, they don't get it, and I shouldn't say it, but I do anyway. You know how that is. Every day is Resurrection Day. And every Sunday that we come together, we are in some aspect of resurrection. We're not doing social issues and, you know, how, what do you think about this and what the government's doing? We're talking about the life of God that raised us from the dead and that we have a new life in him. So I, I, every, every Sunday is Resurrection Day. I believe it's like celebrating your birthday. I like birthdays. Birthday is your day. You didn't get to choose it. It's arbitrary. It happened on a certain day. If you didn't know what day it was, if your mother didn't tell you, yeah, it was February 3rd, you wouldn't have a clue because someone had to tell you. You don't remember it. You didn't mark it down. You didn't consecrate it. They told you, here's your birthday. And in the case of Deborah's mother, she has two birthdays. They, they, her mother, gave, she was born on one day and then she wanted to change her school eligibility and gave her a different birthday. And so true to form, Miss Sarah 
She wants a present on both of them. Now, how smart is that? <laughs> I give her all the credit, you know, to having two birthdays, praise God. But we like our birthday because it's a day that celebrates us. Every day is the same, and you may do something special or be something special every day, but on your birthday, everything stops or should. And we say, well, look at John. Look at, look at Elsie. That's, this is their day to celebrate, and uh, I, I like that, and that's what we do with Resurrection Day. We stop and say every day is Resurrection Day, every day is special, but here's the day that we stop and enunciate it and, and declare it. And so we know, we know that, and this is important, that everything to do with the kingdom is based on this. What did you do with Jesus? It's not, did you do enough? Did you do good enough? Did you, did you repent of this and that? What are you doing with Jesus? And if you're not born again, then you did something with Jesus. You ignored him and left him behind. But Jesus is Lord. And that's everything. We make Jesus Lord. So uh, resurrection from the dead is the very foundation of the kingdom life. There is nothing else. The birth of Jesus is fairly inconsequential. Matter of fact, we probably get it wrong. Probably he was conceived on December 25th and born in September. But we don't care. We want to stop and celebrate his birthday. But resurrection is the kingdom foundation of the whole operation. Everything revolves around him not dying on the cross, but being raised from the dead. In order to have a resurrection, though, he did have to die on the cross, but it wasn't even his death that paid the price for it for us. It was that his blood was shed and that he had to die in order to do that. So the virgin birth, it couldn't have happened without that. The cross, it had to be in there, but it's the resurrection from the dead that gave us everything that we are and everything that we do. So we, we focus on that. So in Mark chapter 16, uh, let's look in verse one. It says, uh, just for context, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said unto themselves, who shall roll us away from the, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they had looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. When's the last time you've been affrighted? Hallelujah. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is risen. Hallelujah. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell the disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There ye shall see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. And neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And he went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And she went, excuse me, she went and told them. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. Believed not. And after he appeared in another form unto the two of them as they walked into the country, 
This is uh, this would be the walking to Emmaus. And they went and told it unto the residue. Neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. And he upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Well, we could be critical of these guys and all these people that believe not. But then we'd have to adjust our own selves for reading the word and believing not. Because we only believe what we're willing to do. We may say, I believe that, but it, it's limited to what you're willing to follow through and what you're willing to do. So we all could be upbraided by our unbelief. Am I telling the truth this morning? So we're walking by faith. We're, uh, we're going from faith to faith and glory to glory. Revelation is progressive. So uh, as we build uh, a, a pillar on one area of, resurrect, of, of revelation, then we can grow from there and grow and grow and grow. Wouldn't it be a shame to leave this world being a Christian all your life? And not know any more than when you knew when you got born again. Wouldn't that be a, a terrible crime to have never grown up? Um, in Hebrews chapter 6, you're right there. Let's slip over to Hebrews chapter 6. Where it talks about resurrection and puts it in context for us. About how we should uh, treat the resurrection. Is it like, well, is it a big event? Hebrews chapter Six. Is it a big event? Is it something we should learn about? We always go back and do the basics on Resurrection Day because there's the possibility, the probability of people being here that don't know and being on broadcast that don't know. But he said there in verse one of chapter six, therefore. So chapter five is talking about uh, uh, being skillful in meat and in milk and growing up. And where are you? He said, therefore, leaving the principles, the basic principles of the doctrine of Christ, leaving that. So there's more than the six things he's about to name. I said there's a going on. There's deeper things than just knowing these six things. And how many people are still hadn't got through these six things? He said the. The uh, let us go on unto perfection, unto completion. And then he lists them, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. We should know that. We should have a foundation of the repentance from dead works. Amen. Faith toward God should be, it'd be like your ABCs when you're six years old. It'd be like knowing your numbers. When you're in the third grade, you ought to know your addition tables and your multiplication tables. He said we ought to know faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And he said, and this we will do if God permit. Well, God's permitting. Amen. To move on past these six basic things. So we're not Christians that don't have a basic grounding in resurrections. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. We're not wondering. We're not debating. We're not speculating. Jesus is alive. He's alive now as he was as he walked the earth. He's alive and he's alive in us and he's alive for us. In Romans chapter 4 we see the, the beginning. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4 if you would please. Uh, the importance and the foundation of resurrection. Resurrection from the dead. Resurrection from the dead. 
What an amazing thing. Wouldn't you be proud of your life if you raised someone from the dead? Wouldn't that be a part of your testimony? That wouldn't be like, well, we grew out a leg or their allergies. They quit sneezing or, you know, the stomach ache went away and everything. But you say, hey, ah, me and Jesus raised somebody from the dead. They were they were dead. They were dead. The, the screen was flat. And then we we raised them from. The, yeah, you can get kind of get along with yourself when you've raised someone from the dead. Amen. And he said there in chapter four of Romans. Uh, speaking of the Lord, uh, where shall we go? Well, we'll go to verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, Abraham, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, who raised or resurrected the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Amen. The Amplified says, who gives life to the dead. He's resurrected us from the dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And he made us alive. He raised us from the dead. All of us. That is our testimony. Not that I did this and I've done that and I, I, I'm important here and I know these scriptures and I know this teaching. No, we got raised from the dead. We were dead. We were dead. And he quickened us and made us alive. In Romans chapter 8, slip over one or two or 17 pages, however you are. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Thank you, Jesus, for the resurrection of the dead. We celebrate we've been brought back from the dead to newness of life. Praise God. Though we were in the grave, yet he has raised us up. Praise God. Verse one, there is therefore now because of the resurrection, there is thou therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Why? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free, has raised me up from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is, is the man who sins shall surely die. We were doomed. We were judged. We were hopeless and we were condemned. And yet now there's no condemnation to us. He made us free from the law of sin and death. So, yay, we've been set free. So I'm not a believer that doesn't know what has happened. We know what has happened. So the cross, say the cross, the cross. The cross is where the price was paid for you and I. I was on the cross with him. You were on the cross with him. Before we were a thought to our mother, we were on the cross. And so we were, we were condemned in our sin. We were nailed to the cross, his cross, and we were laid in the tomb with him. Sin had won. Death had overcome our lives. But then the resurrection from the dead, the power of God went into that tomb and raised us up. It was a legal transaction that was being wrought. That Jesus paid the price for judgment because he was sinless. And yet he died with our sin. He didn't deserve it. We did. So he paid the price for us. And we were set free 
The empty tomb then is the signification of the life of God that was transferred to us. Instead of a cross on our jewelry and in our churches, we actually more accurately could put a throne. We could have a little chair. Not near as chic to have a little chair on your neck or at the front of the church. But that's really the accuracy of who we are and what has happened to us. It was the acknowledgement of the contract that we have with heaven because of Jesus. Jesus is alive and we are alive with him. We were raised to newness of life. So I was there. So think about it. Just meditate with me for a moment. That we were each condemned, sentenced to death. No escape. We had sinned. The law of sin and death was in operation. We could not escape it any more than Adam could. But then a transaction came through, a reprieve, a pardon, as it were, came to the court of heaven. And an intervention had been made. Jesus had paid the price for us who were condemned. And suddenly the old man is taken out of the way. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We have a new life because we are new in him. Praise God. Romans chapter 10. You're right there in eight. Slip over to 10. So much value and weight is put on the resurrection that truly you can't even be born again without making it the centerpiece of the new birth. The new birth is not like many would suppose that it's based on promising to do good, really sorry for what you've done, promising not to do that anymore and trying to, to make an appeasement of Lord, I'll do better. But in chapter 10 in verse nine, it says that if you want to be born again, if you need a new life, well, you have to walk across molten glass and swim every sea and climb every mountain or, or not do bad things. Just do the best you can. But actually, it's not that at all. It says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Very important that we acknowledge the word Lord in there. That you just don't ask him into your heart. You just don't say, I, I want to miss hell. Well, any fool would. Any fool would. So that's not transitional. That's not redemptive. But if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. So it, there's implied there a willingness to transact with the Lord. I will make you, I, I take you as the Lord of my life. And like in marriage, from this day forward, we shall be one. And then he says, and shalt believe in thine heart. Well, the Lordship comes with this, that God has raised him from the dead. Right there, then it says, thou shalt be saved. It's so easy that people, men and women, cannot accept it. You can't do it a mental thing that says, I'll transact that with my head. I'll do something that seemingly is so easy, but yet is so, so very hard. I'll just... Say some words. I'll just say, Jesus, come into my heart and go with me. 
That's not the new birth. And a lot of people that think or are led to believe that's all there is actually are left many times in their trespasses and sins. We, we do wrong with easy believism to say that all you have to do is turn from your life of sin and just make Jesus the centerpiece of your life in your head. It's got to be down here. So it's a transaction. It's like I'll give you $20,000 for that vehicle or I'll, I'll give you a million dollars for this piece of land. It's a transaction that's got repercussions and it's very binding. It's very consuming. It's very, it's very ethereal in that it affects all of your life. So we have to make sure we have to come to terms with the lordship of Jesus. And that involves believing that God raised him from the dead. Not that it was a historical event. OK, he did and whatever but that it affects every part of our life, that everything that was in that infusion of power to raise him from the dead and by token raise me from the dead in my trespasses and sins to lift me up of that condemnation, that judgment, that now I live it every day as if I'm a resurrected one, that I am now resurrected, not then I was and back in 67 or whenever it was, but that I am Every day resurrected from the dead in him. And it says, and for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That's a word for covenant. That I was who I was. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But the new covenant came and I identified with him because he had identified with me. He, he identified with my sin so that I could identify with his righteousness. And I've been born again. I'm changed and turned around. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So here we see that sin goes out of the body through the mouth. We admit that we're sinners. We, we align with being a sinner, hopelessly separated from the life of God. And then with the same mouth, we identify with righteousness. I receive Jesus as the Lord of my life. And I receive that I've been resurrected from the dead. I'm not just somebody that made a decision on Sunday and whatever. I did it. They sent me a certificate, said you're now a member of the first church and all is well. You're not born again until you're born again. It doesn't matter what you said and what they said you should say or what what the protocol is. We're not born again until we're born again. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, please. First Corinthians chapter 15, this key of resurrection, we should talk about it all the time. And in, in, a, in a sense, when we talk about the power of the Lord Jesus and even what was mentioned this morning, the laying on of hands uh, that changed everything. It's because of that resurrection of the dead. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he shall quicken your mortal body by that spirit that dwells in you. That's Romans chapter, where is that? Chapter 11, chapter 8, verse 11. Chapter 8, I believe it's, well, if I'm going to quote it, I better document it. Yes, it's 8:11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, does he dwell in us this morning? Hallelujah. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or resurrect your mortal body by his spirit that dwelleth in you. 
So it's an ongoing event. It happened on that day when Jesus was on the cross, but it's still happening to us. That power is being infused into us. Romans chapter 15, look in verse 3. Paul is speaking to this church and he said, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, or Simon, and of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. How about that? Witnesses of whom the greater part remain unto this present. So he's saying in this particular letter, he said, you can still ask. Go find Joe Smith and go find Leroy Jones or whatever. They, they'll tell you they saw him. But some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James and then all of the apostles. And last of all, he's seen of me also as one born out of due time. Uh, and last of all, he was seen of me as of one born out of new, new, due time. Let's look in verse 12. Let's skip down. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead. I want to remind you all this morning, what you may not know is that many, many churches, many, many churches do not preach that he was raised from the dead. It's not that they, don't, that they say he wasn't. They just never acknowledge it. And if it's a bloodless religion, if it's a bloodless ritual or rite, then there is no resurrection power. There is no resurrection power. And, and many of them, if not most, will not know it until the day of resurrection. From the day they either die and face judgment without resurrection or when we're raptured or not raptured out of the grave. In verse 12, now, if, any, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Well, that's just a historical event. We'll just say that he wasn't. Does it affect us now? Well, Paul says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. So he's saying that the law of resurrection that applied to him applies to me. That if there was no resurrection of him, then there is no resurrection of us. Verse 14, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up a Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the, rise, the dead rise not. For if we, if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, yet ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. So have you ever heard someone say that there is no resurrection? Well, how they say it is, we're like dogs. When you buried a dog, when a dog dies, the dog is dead and nothing happens. You just put it in the ground. And they say that. Well, then you get into the second coming. They'll say, well, they've been saying a long time that he's coming. But I don't think he's coming because they've been saying that a long time. Well, that's an affront on the resurrection, isn't it? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. 
But now is Christ risen from the dead. Hallelujah. And become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death by man, excuse me, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. The first Adam and the second Adam. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So there's a resurrection power that's working inside of us. The most powerful impartation that heaven's ever made of power and authority was in the resurrection of the dead. And then he said, if that same spirit that raised him from the dead, that same power dwell in you, he shall quicken your mortal body. So that same power is still available. The same plug that the Lord plugged into that day to get Jesus up, he got us up. And that same impartation comes out of our hands and out of our mouth. It wasn't like, well, it took a big one to get Jesus up. It took a big one to get all of us up. In chapter 15, turn to verse 50, if you would. You're right there. Turn to verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I'm alive this morning. It can't be changed. We're going to live forever. We're going to live with him forever. All of our hopes, all of our expectations, all of our dreams are all based on the power and the veracity of the resurrection from the dead. We are alive. Amen. So we either put on our incorruptible bodies, our immortal bodies, by going into the grave. And the word says the dead in Christ will rise first. So if we die before the rapture, we'll be in the grave. But he says he'll raise us up with new bodies. I am looking forward to the new body. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, not that this one's so terrible, but uh, wow. Everything that he does for us is so wonderful, and that will be too. So we'll either die before the rapture and go into the ground and get a new body on the resurrection day, or we'll just be raptured up, them that remain. Well, after the dead in Christ are resurrected, we'll be resurrected, and we'll meet him in the air. I love meeting him in the air. And then uh, we'll go to heaven for seven years. I don't know what seven years that'll be. I guess it'll be seven real years because the tribulation will be going on and things will carry on in the earth, but we won't be here. I said, but we won't be here. We will not be here. There's no fear in the second coming. There's no fear in the rapture. There's no fear in that. 
we, we are at least as good as Noah and his family that were exempted from the wrath of God. We are exempted from the wrath of God. And those seven years are going to be the seven years that God owes Israel. It'll be old covenant. It won't be like it is now, the day of grace. Those seven years will be a transaction out of the, 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 covenant, the uh, dispensation of grace. And it'll be seven years that'll, that where God will be in control. And he will allow the, uh, those that would not, that rebelled and would not receive Jesus, he will allow them to live under the Antichrist. And they will have a tough time getting saved. But some of them will. They will, get, they will be martyred and they will uh, get born again. Some will make it through without receiving Jesus. And then when the devil is dealt with, They'll be on the earth and we'll come back and we'll live with those heathens. Can you imagine going through all that's going to happen in all the lordship of Jesus and still shaking your fist at God and saying, I will not receive Jesus. It tells you how powerful it really is when we're born again, because for them to be resisting that so much. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you're right there. Slip over to verse 10, please. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So he's talking about the Bema, the B-E-M-A, the Bema seat. And it is a judgment seat. But it's not judgment in the sense of we thinking that a criminal has been charged and convicted and then he's sentenced. It's not that kind of thing. It's that the Bema is a judgment seat. Means that if you've done good, you're judged according to the good that you did. And then there's a reward. Are y'all hearing me? There's no fear in the Bama seat. Now the key, the key is always, and it is, should be here, is to confess our sins. When you mess up, the Holy Ghost comes back and convicts you and says, that was bad. And you go, well, yeah, Lord, I, okay, sorry, sorry. But that doesn't confess it out of your life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So when we confess our sins, that doesn't mean just listing them, yada, yada, yada. But it means going through them and agreeing with God. Agreeing with God. And so when we go to agree with God about our sins, our missing the mark, there's revelation that comes about how bad it was or how thorough it was or how complete it was. And we go through that. Let's get it right. Let's get it right from the word on this side so we have no trouble or pain on that side. And we confess it out of our life. And then that sin loses its power over any kind of judgment, any kind of future. It's completely obliterated and it's taken out of the way. So we confess it. We just say, yeah, that was that. I agree with you. Your word says this and I did or didn't do that. And we confess it as he brings it to our heart. Then when we face the Bema, then we're judged for motives. We're judged not so much for things that we did. Because there's a self-righteousness and a self-grandiizing, but for things that are done by motive. We had a heart towards God. We were a blessing. Because he had been a blessing to us. We're blessed to be a blessing. And so we're judged on motive. 
And the word talks about wood, hay, and stubble, things that were done with a motive that's not pure, that's selfward. We're judged. Wood, hay, and stubble, it burns up. In other words, you put your rewards on the belt and it goes through the, I always think of it as an uh, airport conveyor belt with a, with a crematorium in it. <laughs> that, that your wood, hay, and stubble goes on the belt and you look for the reward coming out the other end and there's just a smoky smell. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm just making this stuff up. But, that's, it's, uh, but it doesn't come out good. But then he said uh, uh, gold and silver and precious stones, put those on the belt and the flames come on and, and, and they come out sparkling and, and uh, right. Well, that's motives, things that we did with the motive towards the kingdom. So those are the things that we're going to be judged. And so in verse 10, he says, we must all appear before the Bama seat, the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So if you do bad things, it's burned up. There's no reward to that, is there? And so uh, uh, the reward clock starts when we get born again. Young or old. So people that die on their deathbed and have never done anything, they have no reward. They're in, the word says in Peter, as if by fire. They just barely got in. And praise God, they did, they did get in. Then the word teaches, and we'll do this another time, but the word teaches that in this millennial reign that we're going to be with in the Lord, that he's going to set it up as his kingdom. It's not going to be the, the dispensation of grace that we're in right now. He's absolutely in charge. God is absolutely in control. And he sets his kingdom up. It's very natural on the one hand. And the word teaches us that, uh, that he puts us in charge based on what we did in this life. So he puts you over 10 cities or five cities or two cities. Puts you in charge over that. So you could be, you could be the governor of Akron. Or the governor of Huntsville or Tuscaloosa or something. Well, like, who gets what? Well, we're going to look into your, to see what you did. If you just said, I just want to be saved enough to go to heaven, there will be a reflection of that. God is just. God is, he's fair. And so just because we see now that we do things and get no seemingly overt reward, it wouldn't be fair for him to say, we just throw it all in there. Everybody's the same. He's not socialistic. There is a reward. And so what we do gets rewarded now. Uh, it says in Mark chapter uh, uh, nine or 10, where he talks about no man having given up father and mother and lands and all those things for the gospel will not receive in this lifetime these things and a hundredfold return. So there's a now time, but then he says, and in the lifetime to come, eternal life. You can't lose with the stuff we use. He's fair. I, I, tell, I tell my family all the time, you may treat me this way now. I don't say that part, but I'm thinking, you may treat me this way now, but when we get to heaven, heaven's fair. And your arguments and your condemnation will not be mentioned again on that side. And on the other hand, where I thought I was right and I wasn't, 
It's not going to hold either. Praise God. So, um, so we, we're rewarded. I want to teach on rewards because people don't really realize because of the, uh, the dispensations how much of a reward that we are actually working for. We, we do it now. We, we love to do and be a blessing. And people thank us or we have our confidence in the Lord. But actually, we're piling it up. He's fair. And everything he does in the world is based on a reward system. He's rewarding you for what you do. It's not just I'm doing it for the Lord. It doesn't matter to me if I get a reward. Sure it does. It's false. It's false for people to say, I just do it for the Lord. I don't care. I just, I mean, that may be your outside response. But on the inside, we all are keeping a watch over what we do and why we do it. It keeps us straight. Amen. So we're going to be we're going to be governors. I think somebody from the south is going to be a governor in New York and Connecticut and Long Island, Rhode Island. I don't know what I don't know who's up there that's going to take over. I'm sure there is. And surely the Lord wouldn't make an Alabamian have to be the governor over Vermont. I'm just messing with you. Let's receive the Lord's table this morning. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. Joey, let's, let's, let's receive the cup first this time. Would you just, would you pass that around? Would you? Let's break protocol this morning. Darling, in a moment, I'd like for you, if you would, to serve the people the, the bread. Praise God. Resurrection. Everything else that you like to talk about and listen to concerning the gospel, nothing is as important as this. Everything draws from this. What is the Lord's table? If you're churchy, and we all are, in the sense of why we do things, we just say, well, that's what we do, and it's just what we should do. But actually, the things in the Word that have us do things are for our benefit, and we do them because it imparts or in, impacts our life. And so uh, when we're water baptized, we receive Jesus, we make him the Lord of our life, we're water baptized. It's not such a big deal now in America to do it, but in other nations, a very big deal that you identify with Jesus. You're identifying with him saying, I confess him as Lord. 
When you do that in a Muslim nation or a Hindu nation, they don't like it. They don't like you identifying with the lordship of Jesus. To them, he is an anti-God. He's a satanic entity. He's a false God. But in America, there's no danger, and we do it as, as a matter of even bring all your kin folks and look and watch and celebrate it. And so it should be. And in, but in the water baptism, we know the water does not save us. We, there's water as an element, but there's no water in the actual receiving of Jesus as Lord. But the fact that he was buried, he was taken off the cross and we were buried or, or went under the water, went under the saving grace. We know it's not the water, but it's our, it's our identification that saves us. We are proclaiming or identifying with him. And it's like so many things like marriage. Marriage is not standing up in front of a crowd of people. It's not even standing up in front of a preacher of some kind. It's certainly not just receiving a certificate from the courthouse and going home. It's the words you speak in front of witnesses. In the Old Testament, everything was done at the gate because that's where the elders were. I guess they were the spit and whittle club of the Old Testament or something. But the elders were there. And they would verify or they would witness your marriage. And more than just seeing you stand up, they would witness your words. I give myself to her. I give myself to him. They would witness those words and there would be a witness there that if someone came down the road and said, well, I, I didn't really marry her. I don't like her and I, I didn't really marry her. Well, they would go back and they would say the elder said you did. They heard your words. And so getting married with no witnesses, it doesn't transact. Why is that? Well, you can say those words, but without a witness, you're going to be tempted someday, some way, as we all know that have been married, to say, I'm out of here. Like you're living together or something, that you just have a casual relationship where it's an efficiency thing. You take out the trash and I'll, I'll cook supper or whatever. So the same thing with the table. This cup does not save us. But we identify with the blood of Jesus that did save us. Because he cannot and he will not go up on the cross and die for us today when we decide to get born again and make him Lord. So we identify with what he's already done. We say it's the same this morning as if I was there this morning. I identify with him and I, we don't have to have witnesses for this, but we all witness that we're receiving it. And if someone says, I, I don't want to take, then, then they're saying it's a church ritual. Well, everything that's just a church ritual, I, I'm Baptist or I'm Methodist and we do it. I only do it with my Baptist friends and my Presbyterian friends. It's a kingdom principle. There are no churches in heaven to validate it. So we have witnesses of each other. But we ought to take it at home as well. You ought to take it one by yourself and identify with him in what he's done. 
So we've been reconciled to God this morning. We've been reconciled to God. Though our trespasses and sins, the history might be long, yet they've been blotted out. And we acknowledge his, his blood washed me clean. And I'm as, as clean as if I never sinned. So, Lord, we thank you that Jesus did a complete work. He did it for me. And what he did is still working. The blood is eternal and it changed me. and I'm a new creation. And so, Lord, I acknowledge this morning that my Lord Jesus was raised from the dead for me and that I was with him in that resurrection. And now I'm as free as if I was never a sinner. I'm as free and I'm as one with you as if I was always from my birth born again. It changed all of my past to all of my future. So I receive and I acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of my life. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Garland, please come serve the people. Thank you. First Peter 2.24. This is our covenant. This is the divine exchange. This is where we identify in the Lord's table and with our whole life with what happened. We witness that we are not who we look like. We are not who we were. We witness that we've been changed. Verse 24 talks about the Lord Jesus and said, Who his own self bear our sins in his, in his own body on the tree. And so that's what we just did. We acknowledge that he bare my sins in his own body on the tree, on the cross, and that his blood was shed. If his blood had not been shed, it would have been in vain. He, he didn't just have to die by a rock hitting his head or strangulation or something like that. It was his blood that ratified the covenant that changed us. With, without, there, is no, there is no exchange without the shedding of blood. So his own, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead or removed to sins. So we acknowledge that, that this blood has separated us from sin. Oh, y'all, there's no condemnation. We're free indeed. And then he said, should live under righteousness. So we live as if we had never sinned. We live under righteousness. We are not condemned. We're not guilty. We're not ashamed. We're not trespassers that are dead in our sin. We live above sin. We were, but we are not. Then he says, in addition, by whose stripes ye were healed. 
And so even before the Lord Jesus gave his life, his blood, his blood was spilt at the, at the post in Pilate's yard. And the price for our healing, our restoration, our health was made by his body. His body was taken, smitten, so that ours would be free. He bore our judgment and we're free. It's good to be free. And so we acknowledge that. What, what you're about to do, this bread does not heal you. But the transaction in our hearts that acknowledges fresh and anew, I am living above sick, sickness and disease, pain. And it transact a faith reaction in our heart that makes us restored. Just like Romans 10, 17 says, faith arises by hearing and hearing the word. Well, there's a resurrection power in our faith that happens when we acknowledge or identify fresh and anew with what he did. Jesus took what was ours so we would be free. So, Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus and he obediently bore every sickness, every disease, every pain, every injury, every accident that could ever happen in our body. And we acknowledge it. We say it is finished. We will not say I am sick. We will not say it looks like I'm going to have a hard life. We will not say it is as if you had not bore our, our stripes. We say it happened and it's finished. It's done. And no longer will we live under the curse of sickness and pain. But we live above it in Jesus' name. And we refuse to go back. And, and to disavow what you did. But we say it happened. And now it's done. In Jesus' name, I am healed. Amen. I am healed. It happened. It's done. It's finished. I refuse it. I resist it and I refuse it. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. The chronic has been defeated. Things that we've put up with and just they started out little and we just let them go. And suddenly they're bigger and we don't we're surprised. And now there's something that's there seemingly every day. We we refuse that now. We come against the chronic, the repetitive, the routine that lies against the covenant of grace against what has happened to us. And we again identify with wholeness and, yes. and, uh, and strength. In Jesus' name, we are healed. Amen. 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 Well, Jesus is wonderful. Resurrection. Every day, this next, the rest of this year. Amen. Let's stand up and sing.